All right, well, shifting our attention a little bit here, we're going to look at meditating on Scripture, and we're actually going to do exercise together. And again, I'm glad you're here. I know there's a lot of reading and discussion, discussion and talking and worrying that's going on. So as the email that I sent out conveyed, we're free. We can come and gather like this, or you can stay home. Either one. There's, we're absolutely free. But I do think, as a pastor here, I just I want to say this, if I can get it off my chest a little bit. There's something going on with frenzy and anxiety in this environment. And there's wisdom and discretion on one hand, and that's we want to walk the way of wisdom and discretion. But friends, we do not want to walk the way of anxiety and frenzy and fear that grips us. And I just think we're kind of in that place, all the various media outlets. And so I think it's real important to, to read, to, watch, to be wise, to listen, but especially to our local leadership. They know more than ever, and we've had, what, I think three cases of coronavirus here. And so I think before it's over, if we're looking at news coming out of New York or my friends in Chicago, it, it's panic time. And so we have to acknowledge where we are and read and act accordingly. Amen? All right. So we're in week two of a series on spiritual practices. And this reinforces who we are. We are a community of what? A community of worship and formation on mission with Jesus. We didn't pass that test. What, we're a community of worship and formation on mission with Jesus. And so really at the heart of that is formation. Jesus wants his character formed in each of us. And so what we're going to be looking at in these next few weeks, biblical practices that help us have Christ formed in us. The Apostle Paul says in Galatians 4.19 that all of his work as an apostle, as a servant, was to see Christ formed in the church. And that's what we're gathering for. We worship, we're on mission, and we're seeing the Spirit of God form Jesus in us. We've been talking about how we are longing for breakthrough. And God has been up to something. If you think about, as Connie mentioned, the last four or five weeks, we've seen some unusual things. It was just a few weeks ago that much of our church was here at the altar, moved deeply by the Jesus People Movement, where they were baptizing 500 people a month at a time. And then we watched a service that was, they had a thousand crazy Jesus People, hippies, come to Christ. And so we were looking at biblical and historical revivals and saying, Lord, do it again. And we're not stopping. It's not like we're shifting gears and saying, okay, we've checked the revival box here and now we're moving on to other things. No, no, no. We have the gas down. We've got the pedal down and we want the Lord to break through, especially in this context, this environment. But now what we're doing is we're saying if we're going to keep the pedal down of expectancy, Lord, move, do it again, that there are practical things that we can do to sustain faith, to sustain life. And really, we're not whipping anything up. We don't, there's no pressure on us at all. Who brings revival? Who brings spiritual awakening? 
the sovereign God. And so what we're doing is partnering. We're cooperating with God, and we're saying we're going to continue to pray and fast and long for breakthrough. Just like Jesus says in Matthew 6, we pray for the kingdom to come and break through. But at the, at the same time, we're also looking at practical ways to be sustained as God's army. That's something else that we're talking about here as we shift into, in the coming months, becoming a vineyard. We are an army. We're not an audience. And so an important part of that is getting prepared for battle, spiritual battle. Last week, we looked at interacting with God through Scripture. If you were here, if you heard it, we looked that the whole point of reading the Scriptures is to have living contact with the person of Jesus, not a relationship with a book, but contact with the living word. The written word brings us to the living word. We also saw that the scriptures are all about Jesus, as Luke 24 talks about. It's not just about abstract history or spiritual principles, but the book is about Jesus, the Son of God, God in the flesh, and we get to interact with him through the word of God. So this morning, what I want us to look at is the power of meditating on scripture. And we're going to see four powerful outcomes of meditation on Scripture. And I'm going to define that word in a minute because sometimes the word meditation conjures up images that are inaccurate. We're going to look at what biblical meditation is. And the first passage we're going to look at is in Joshua 1.8. Joshua 1.8 and 9. This is one of the most well-known passages in the whole of Scripture on biblical meditation. Joshua 1.8 and 9. I'll read it in just a moment. I love hearing some of the pages flip. Some of you are bringing your Bible. I bring mine. It says this at Joshua 1.8. And again, I read from the New Revised Standard Version. NIV is good. ESV, there are multiple ones, but I read the New Revised Standard. Joshua 1.8. This book of the law shall not depart out of your mouth. You shall meditate on it day and night so that you may be careful to act in accordance with all that is written in it. For then you shall make your way prosperous and then you shall be successful. I hereby command you, be strong and courageous. Do not be frightened or dismayed for the Lord your God is with you wherever you go. So the context of this passage is Moses has died. He's passed the baton to this young leader named Joshua. And the Lord is giving him instructions on how to lead the people and how to enter the promised land and look at what he's telling him to do. To meditate on the word of God. And he's telling him, verse 8 there, keep it in your mouth. What in the world does that mean? He's saying, let your words be seasoned with this. Speak about it. Let it salt your language. Even speak it out. We were talking last week about preaching to your own heart. That is really what meditation is about. And the Lord knew that Joshua was going to have his hands full with the people. So he's saying, let the word of God be in your mouth. Talk about it. There will be moments where you have to remind yourself of who God is, who you are, and what he's called you to do. He says, meditate on the word. Meditate on this instruction. How often? Day and night. 
That word there, meditate, is hagah. Let's say that together, hagah. You learned a Hebrew word for the day, hagah. And it, and it really means uh, to muse and murmur. The word literally means a barely audible murmur. So Joshua and others who meditate would have been speaking under their breath. Lord, you're with me. Lord, I can walk in strength and courage. Lord, I will love you with all of my heart and soul and mind and strength. So the Lord is giving him this practical instruction. And it involves the mind and the heart. Thinking about it. Speaking about it. Really being obsessed with it. Meditate. Hagah on the word, day and night. And then what, what happens when you do that? Look at the text here. Meditating on it day and night, and I'm going to ask in a few minutes if that's realistic, what's meant by that. But what happens is you begin to keep it in your mouth and meditate on it, think about it, reflect, speak it out. What begins to happen? You act in accordance with it. It's a byproduct as you're chewing on it, as you're mulling it, as you're meditating on it, then you more naturally act in accordance with it. We become what we contemplate. We become what we think about. And the Lord knows that and is giving Joshua this instruction here. Think about this. Become what I've called you to become. Hagah, meditate on this, Joshua. And then obedience becomes a more natural outflow of that. Look what else happens here. These are misunderstood words, and we have to think about them in their context, not 2020, but the Lord promises prosperity and success. I want to say success really stems from this thing right here, knowing your love by God. Oftentimes we think, well, my, I've got to grow a business. I've got to please my father. I've got to please my spouse. I've got to be impressive. I've got to drive this car. I've got to send my kids to this school. I, none of that is what this text is talking about. Success is being loved by God and walking out the purposes that he has for you. That's it. All those other things are misguided if we're not realizing the Lord loves me, the Lord's called me, he has plans for me. Prosperity here means many things, but for this particular promise here, it means entering into what God has called you to inherit. That's it, to be successful, to be prosperous. And meditation is at the heart of this. And then look at how that text ends there, Joshua 1.9. There's a promise of presence. So we're looking at here obedience, we're looking at blessing, and then the presence of God is promised to Joshua. You can write this down, I'm going to read it, but there was an interaction between Moses and the Lord in Exodus 33, 14 through 15. And listen to what Moses says, it ties into this. Moses says to the Lord, he prays to him, and then the Lord responds and says, Moses, my presence will go with you. And I will give you rest. And he said to him, if your presence does not go, do not lead us up from here. And so the presence of God is at the heart of this kind of meditation. We're meditating. 
We're seeking the Lord through his word so that we can encounter his presence. And we're aware that he is with us, never leaving us. It's important to realize, I've said this before, you, my friends, are a meditating creature. You are a meditator. Some of you are saying, well, you don't realize I'm really not. Yes, you are. You meditate all the time. The question is, what do you meditate on? I got a text from a friend this week who's in investment, and he was getting slaughtered. I mean, he's losing tens of thousands of dollars by the day, sometimes by the hour. And my friend, who is a meditating creature, sends me a text and says, you know what? I've got worship music on right now. I've got my Bible open. I'm declaring God's goodness, and I've got my finger on the buy trigger. And I thought, that's what I'm talking about right there. In spite of what's happening around him, in faith, he's got the scriptures open, he's worshiping, he's doing Haggah in the face of absolute meltdown financially, and he's got confidence in the Lord. He is meditating on the right thing. Now again, that doesn't mean be naive. He's totally tuned in to what's happening. But if all he does is read the Wall Street Journal and investment information, he's gonna be a mess. He's got another source and it's called the Word of God. Declaring those things out loud. A second thing here, the power of meditation on scripture is found in Psalm 1, 1 to 3. Go ahead and open that. We're actually going to do an exercise in a few minutes using Psalm 1, 1 to 3, another well-known passage that talks about the power of meditation on the Word of God. I can't help but think of my grandmother. This was her favorite verse, and she used to tell us that she prayed this for us. She prayed this passage for my brother and me for many decades. Can't help but think of Grandmother Marion. Psalm 1, 1 to 3 says this, happy are those who do not follow the advice of the wicked or take the path that sinners tread or sit in the seat of scoffers. Verse 2, but their delight is in the law of the Lord and on his law they meditate, here it is again, day and night. They are like trees planted by streams of water which yield their fruit in its season and their leaves do not wither and all they do, they prosper. This text is showing us that there's really two ways of being in the world. And one is the one you don't want to take. Turning your back on the Lord, turning your back on his word, living for yourself. The other is the way of the righteous. And it's interesting what this text is showing is that there's a progression down both pathways. If you look at the verse, verse one here, it says, do not take this path of the wicked. Don't sit in the seat of scoffers. It's showing this progression. You become more and more at home with wickedness. And the opposite is to meditate on the word of God. Look at the verbs that are used here. It's unreal to experience happiness, delight, meditation, fruit. We could call this whole passage roots and fruits. If you want to know how to have roots, 
and how to yield fruits, do what Psalm 1, 1 to 3 says. It's as simple as that and as difficult and challenging. Delight in and meditate on the law of the Lord. We don't like the word law sometimes, right? It sounds heavy. I guess our lawyers do among us, but for many of us, it sounds like do's and don'ts, but it's really not that. The word Torah means instruction. It's God's wisdom for us to live, to know how to live. This involves the mind and the heart. And again, how often is this? Day and night. As meditating creatures, you are going to think about things day and night. Are you not? And so this text in Joshua 1 invites you into fruitful day and night thinking. Is this realistic though? Day and night, is that a little much? Anybody else like me kind of read that and go, I'm not sure in 2020 that day and night, thank you Gabe, day and night meditation on the word of God is realistic. Listen to what Jesus says though in Luke 21, 36. Be alert at all times praying. Jesus, the wisest, most insightful human being to ever live, says, be alert at all times praying, knowing that there is something that's enticing us always. The Apostle Paul says in 1 Thessalonians 5.17, pray without ceasing. These can be heavy words or they can be promises. In every word of scripture, even if it's a command or an exhortation, is a promise. So when Jesus says that, he's basically saying, you can be alert and pray at all times. When Paul says in 1 Thessalonians 5, pray without ceasing, he's saying, you are filled with the Holy Spirit, the spirit of prayer. You can pray. You can be in communion with God without ceasing. And again, I don't think that means 24-7 doing meditation and all, but I think it means a general heart posture, that you're connected with the Lord, you're riveted on Him and His Word, and that you're less susceptible to the currents, the waves of everyday life that come against us. The text says here that those who do this are like trees planted by streams of water. This is a vivid word picture here. If you meditate on the word of God, you ponder who he is, his love for you, his plans, his ability to deliver you from anxiety and worry, you are like a tree with deep roots in the life-giving soil of a riverbed. You're nourished by his word in ways that oftentimes are internal and hidden. No one may know this except you. So the call to interact with God through Scripture, the call to be a meditator on the Word of God is a hidden life. I'm inviting you today, have a hidden life in God. You're not too young. You're not too old. If you're a little bit off track, you've drifted from this, I'm inviting you into it again today. Cultivate that hidden life with the Lord. Meditating on his word. Letting your roots go deep. It's interesting if you look back at the text here. 
You're like a tree planted by streams of water which yields its fruit in its season and its leaves do not wither. This doesn't mean that you get pulled out of particular seasons. It means that you have roots that are deep enough to get you through. The storms will come. The weather will come. The blazing sun will come. There will be desert time. There'll be springtime. But if you give yourself to the regular meditation on the word of God, you'll endure. In fact, you'll prosper. What I want us to do, let's take this verse for a minute because we, uh, God forbid that we should do a message on meditating on scripture without doing it. So what I want us to do is take a couple minutes here and look at Psalm 1, 1 to 3. And again, what we're doing in these weeks, I'm inviting you into during the week to do this. So I encourage you tomorrow and Tuesday and Wednesday, give yourself to the Lord in meditation on his word. Let's look at this. What I'm gonna do is throw some prayers out of the text and I want you to pray these. Do a little bit of hagah. Maybe speak it out loud. I'm going to speak it out loud. And let's just take a few moments here from verse 1. And then we'll move into verse 2 and 3. This would be an example of something I would do tomorrow. We gather in our staff meetings on Tuesdays and we do this very thing every time we get together. We circle around the scriptures, we open them, and we meditate on them together. And the folks that show up to that, it reorients your whole week. Oftentimes, I come with all kinds of baggage and distraction and anxiety, and by doing what we're getting ready to do, it's a game changer, isn't it? So let's look at verse one. I'm gonna suggest this, but you can pray whatever you want. Lord, I will walk in your blessing. I choose you and your way. Look down at verse one, what would you pray? Just pray it out quietly. Lord, I will walk in your blessing. Verse 2 is another example. Just look down at the text. Lord, I delight in you and your word. So you just, under your breath there, pray. What, what would you pray out of verse 2? Lord, I delight in you. Verse 3, Lord, I'm like a tree planted by streams of living water. Speak that out, Lord, I'm like a tree planted, planted in you.
This isn't rocket science. Do you see the simplicity of this? Folks have been doing this for 2,000 years, Christians have, and even before that, number, number, uh, another couple thousand years. Meditation on the Word of God. I would invite you tomorrow, try it for a couple minutes. Don't bite off an hour. Say, I'm going to do this for one hour. Do a few minutes. It'll change your day. Put it on a post-it, whatever you're meditating on. Perhaps you could take the verses that we're looking at. Use those to structure your meditation for, for the week. And I'll tell you, my friends, this will change your life. Some of you have experienced it. I've had it in different seasons of my life where I'm giving myself to it more, and then I kind of lose the plot, and then I come back to it again. The key is to persist, to keep doing it. We're all susceptible no matter if you're 20, 30, or 70, certain things the enemy brings against us. We looked at it last week. Jesus in Luke 4, you've got to have something to counter the tactics of the enemy. Meditation on the Word of God. So tomorrow the enemy comes to you with whatever temptation, whatever chink in your armor he's working over, whatever button he's trying to push, and you say, Turning from that, I turn to you, Lord. I delight in you and your word right now. I delight in you. Lord, I'm a tree planted by living water. Lord, you see me this way. I draw life from the Holy Spirit. You do that, my friends, temptation begins to run away. You begin to change from the inside out. Let's look very quickly here. A third thing that comes from meditation on the scriptures. And this one is really rich. It sustains us in difficulty and depression. I don't know if there's a better antidote, a better medicine for the soul, for the heart, the mind, than meditation on the word. Look at Psalm 119, 143. The psalmist, really, in Psalm 119, is really his love affair with the Word of God, his love affair with Torah, the instruction of God. And look at what he says. Psalm 119, 143 says, Trouble and anguish have come upon me, but your commandments are my delight. These words are vivid in the Hebrew, trouble and anguish. These are words that convey a sense of being stuffed into a really tight place. The psalmist is basically saying, it's like I've fallen down into this really tight place. I can hardly breathe. I am suffocating in here. And yet, I choose to delight in your word. Something secret here. This is the secret sauce Psalm 119, look at us, Psalm 119, 92. He says, if your law had not been my delight, I would have perished in my misery. And again, it's another word that's meant to just speak of constrainment, suffocation, depression, difficulty. So I want to ask you today, as a meditating creature, do you need to revisit this? Are you dealing with some depression? Are you dealing with some suffocation? Do you feel like you're stuck in a tight place? 
Reach out to the Lord in his word. Friends, this is the secret right here. Being sustained in difficult times and depression. This week I was looking at some stories and it was unreal. I came across a story about Martin Luther and his depression. Martin Luther, the great reformer of the 16th century, 1517, he nails the theses there on the door at Wittenberg Church and reformation breaks out. Well, within a few years, the bubonic plague hit that same city and closed down the university. It was rugged. And people urged Luther and his wife and family to leave the town and Luther said, now nah, we're staying. We're going to care for the sick. The Lord's called us here. So even if the plague is striking our city, we're going to stay here and take care of the sick, the poor, use our own resources to help people. While that was going on, Luther got almost deathly ill, almost died, and slipped into depression. So here he is trying to serve other people, and he's physically sick, and his soul is sick. And Luther literally says that he felt like he was in hell and forsaken by God. And it was during this time that he said he hid in Psalm 46. He found solace in Psalm 46. And he prayed that verse by verse by verse for four months. And his greatest hymn that he wrote came out of that time. A mighty fortress is our God. So even someone, a great hero of the faith like that, Luther was hiding in scripture, meditating on the word of God, speaking to his sick body, speaking to his troubled soul. A final thing here quickly as we transition into some ministry. What does biblical meditation do? Look at Colossians 3, 16 and 17. We'll end with this. Colossians 3, 16 and 17. It uses some different language uses New Testament language here. The Apostle Paul is saying to the church at Colossae, he's just talked to them about letting the peace of Christ rule in their hearts, and look at what he says in verses 16 and 17. Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly. I'm just going to read that again. Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly. Teach and admonish one another in all wisdom, and with gratitude in your heart, sing psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs to God. And whatever you do in word or deed, do everything in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through him. So Paul is showing the church here the secret strength, and it involves meditation. On the scriptures, that verse there at 16, let the word of Christ, this is literally the teachings of Jesus. Paul is saying, meditate on the teachings of Jesus. What he said, what he taught, what he did, let it dwell among you. Let it be at home among you. Let it be in your speech. Let it be in your hearts. It's also the word about Christ. Let it permeate your environment, who he is, his life, his ministry, his death, 
his resurrection. Let the word of Christ saturate your community is what Paul is saying. My friends, we did this this morning. Did we not? Chris was reading from scripture. We sang songs that are rooted in scripture. We had some prophetic words that were rooted in the word of God. We were letting the word of Christ dwell in us richly. Great commentator, Margaret MacDonald, says this, a a British lady at Oxford says this, the experience of being inspired by the word during community gatherings means letting the word of Christ dwell abundantly among you as a dynamic force. And if you look at this passage, it's the spoken word and the sung word. Look at what it says here. We teach, we admonish one another in all wisdom, opening the scriptures, teaching, encouraging each other. But look at what Paul says. Another insight. We're singing psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs. Songs given by the Holy Spirit to God. So it's the word spoken and the word sung. I didn't mention this, but Luther talked about during that season that he would not only read and meditate on the word, but he would sing it out. And he would say, if you're meditating and singing, you're praying twice over. So try that. Try praying a scripture and then singing it. Some of you are saying, well, Brock, my voice is like yours. It's not very good. That doesn't matter. We're not recording anything. Singing it out stirs the affections, and Paul knows that. Let the word of Christ richly dwell among you. Talk about it. Let it suffuse everything you're doing. Sing about who he is and what the Father has done in him. So Lord, I I ask that you would give us grace to do this. Even this week, in the coming weeks, would you grow us in our meditation on the word of God. Lord, give us the power to meditate on Scripture. We need your grace. We ask for a hunger and thirst to lay hold of us. That you would grow us in interacting with you through Scripture. I'm going to ask the worship team to come up.